playing catch up. Uh, we're in Genesis, and we are many chapters behind where we are on Sunday morning. Uh, so we're going to do uh, something. Um, I, we're going to see how it goes, uh, but we're going to try and cover some territory today. Uh, see if we can get ourselves caught up. So what I'd like to do is have you just turn briefly uh, to chapter 12. Well, we're going back because I'm going to bring you up to speed. We're going back so we can go forward. It's like uh, two steps back, one step forward. <laughs> so that's, that's not the norm, how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be two steps forward, one step back, but uh, here we go. Uh, so this is chapter 12, Abraham was called. And he's called away from his father's house. He's called uh, into a land that God will show him. It says, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you all of the families of the earth, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is a messianic prophecy that God's provision for salvation will come through the seed of Abraham. And so God called Abraham out. He said, come away from your father's house uh, and leave, literally, from your family. Now Abraham, he struggles a little bit. Now he is a man of faith. He's the father of faith. And the beauty is, even though Abraham's faith went like this, he always believed God, but he had delayed obedience. He had uh, some obstinate obedience where he kind of argues with God on a number of occasions. And then he had some immediate obediences. But no matter where he was on that undulating line of faith and trust, God sees Abraham through, if you will, Abraham's eyes of faith. Because Abraham, by faith, was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And he was, by faith, really looking toward Messiah. And God sees him, if you will, through Messiah. And so he sees his faith as perfect, if you will. And so it's accredited to him as righteousness. Here's the beauty for you and I. This is so good. God sees each of us through Christ. And so no matter where we are in our faith walk, we know what it's like to be on mountaintops. Anybody here know what it's like to be down in the valley? <laughs> we know what it's like to be in the valley. We know what it's like to be on the hills. We know what it's like to be on the plains. But God sees us perfect because he sees us through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's a beautiful thing. And so, uh, so we have the call of Abraham. Now, he doesn't have this immediate obedience. What he does, and if, if I could draw a map mentally for you, here he is down in Ur of the Chaldeans, and he's going to go north to Haran. So he's up here in Haran. He's, he brings his father with him. So this is some of that delayed obedience, right? Leave your family. What does he do? He brings his family with him, right? So he takes dad, and he takes his nephew, Lot, they go to Haran, and while in Haran, father passes away and to bury dad. 
and then they come down to Canaan, which is almost across, a little bit down, if you will. And here he is in Canaan, and while he's in Canaan, he still has Lot with him. And it's not literally until Lot and he separate that God shows up again. And so there's some interesting things there. But when they get to Canaan in chapter 12, there's famine in the land. And so what do they do? He immediately turns and goes down to Egypt. Down to Egypt, kind of this direction over here. And he comes down into Egypt, and he goes to Egypt for sustenance. So he, metaphorically, if we could see how that would apply in our lives, Egypt is a type or allegory for the world. And so it's like when a Christian who has faith in God, who has the promises of God, when times get tough, when we turn to the world for our answers, when we turn to the systems or the trusts in this world, rather than leaning on the Lord. You know Proverbs chapter 3, or uh, yeah, Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Should we be leaning on him in? Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean on the other side. In all your ways? Okay, is that like 90%? No, that's 100%, right? But our tendency is we look things naturally, and so we want to engage. We want to get our hands on it. And we'll see Abraham, this isn't the first time that he's going to get his hands in the mix. Well, you know that while he goes down to Egypt, because I've said this multiple times, and you've read the story, and you know they also, while they're down in Egypt, which is a place they should not have probably ever gone, they should have just simply trusted the Lord in Canaan, and God would have supplied and provided for them. But while they're down there, he gets himself into a world of trouble. Pharaoh sees his wife. He gets afraid. He says, hey, this is my sister. And it's a practice that they got involved in to where later we see that his entire, this is just his rut in the road, so to speak. It's just kind of what we do. And uh, at any rate, that kind of unfolds for him, and uh, some things go wrong for Pharaoh and his household, and so they discover, hey, it's Abraham. Abraham ultimately says, well, she's my wife, and they end up with some blessings from Pharaoh, and they're sent out. But one of those things that they receive while they're down there is Hagar. Hagar becomes a real pinnacle individual a little bit later that is troublesome for Pharaoh. And so... We, we can learn and glean from chapter 12. When the Lord says for us to do something, we should just do it immediately. Remember, the disciples asked Jesus, you remember this, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You ever wonder how God's will is carried out in heaven? Gabriel, take the answer down to Daniel. Daniel has prayed. Take the answer down. You imagine if Gabriel's up in heaven standing next to the throne of God and says, just, God, just a second. I got some things I'm working on here. Just one, just one minute. I don't think that's how it's working up in heaven. When God says, Ab Gabriel, go, what does Gabriel do? Gabriel goes. It's immediate. It's immediate. Right? Uh, thy will be done on earth. That's in my life and in your life, in Abraham's life. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's like immediate.
God's speaking to you. You're, you're just reading the Word. You're in your daily devotions and you're reading the Word and you realize it says, forgive and you shall be forgiven. Give and it shall be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And you hear, forgive. And you realize in your heart, man, I'm harboring some unforgiveness. What do you think the Holy Spirit's maybe saying to you? Forgive now, right? Freely you have received, freely give. And so he's teaching us how to love, right? And so we want to obey in, in immediacy, if you will. Okay, so uh, he's learning some of these uh, lessons, and um, we, we move into chapter 13, and again, God is going to reiterate, uh, and he's back in the land. Uh, it says, Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that they had, and Lot with him uh, to the south. Abraham was very rich and uh, in livestock, silver, and gold. It's estimated that Abraham was probably, or Abram at the time, that Abram was probably the wealthiest man in the region. He, he, God blessed him lavishly. So it's in chapter 13 that he and Lot, remember, uh, they're herdsmen. Lot also benefited, and so he had many herds and herdsmen, and Abraham many herds and herdsmen, and they were contending with one another, kind of over space, over water, over grain, and there was there was breaking out of dispute. And so they have a conversation with one another, hey, we need to separate lest uh, we not be brothers and friends and confidants and strength for one another. So, so that the contentions will die down, let's separate. Abraham says to Lot, by faith. Abraham could have just said, Lot, I'm going here, you get the, you get the leftovers. But Abraham, by faith, says, Lot, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the north, I'll go to the south. If you go to the west, I'll go to the east. You choose. It's interesting to be reminded that Lot, when he looked, he looked down into the plain and he saw the fertile valley. He saw the fertile valley. And he chose by that which he could see. What he could see with his natural eye, what was appealing to him, that's how he chose. Abraham operated in faith. I'll take whatever you don't. I'll take what you don't. And let the Lord pan it all out. Here's, there's a lesson for us. Not by, not by sight, but by faith. We operate by faith. The just shall live by faith. Walk by faith, not by sight, right? So think about in our own lives how that might apply to us. We have an example of Lot who he saw and he operated. Abraham by faith, by faith, okay? Um, I'm sure there are many examples that we could come up with in our, in our own lives. Um, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a business transaction. What seems right in the natural? Uh, my daughter and her husband, they're looking to buy a house. Uh, what seems right in the appeal, it's in the right price range, it's, you know, it has all the things that we want, three bedrooms, two baths, or whatever it is. They have their little list. And if the house meets it, do we just go buy the house because it seems right? I said, well, why don't you ask the Lord? Do you think he knows? pretty sure he does. So let's ask the Lord, and the Lord will give you the answer. Well, you know the beauty? Thanks, Lord, but 
And it's, it's awesome to watch them now. Now they're, they're, they're more concentrated and they really ascertain and they're seeing the hand of God. They're just seeing the hand of God. Close doors, open doors, stretch your faith. And so they're just kind of growing. And so we don't operate by sight. Does that make sense? You know that the scripture says it is impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That means everything that we do, just naturally, that's not necessarily going to please God. There's an operation of faith, if you will. And so I just want to encourage you in that area. So that's chapter 13. There's a separation, and Lot chooses. And you know the story of Lot, right? I mean, he chooses, and he, he goes down into the valley where the cities are. And we know the cities that are down there. We certainly know two of them, Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Scripture says he pitched his tent towards Sodom. That means the opening of his tent, he could see the city. It became an appeal to him. And if you see the progression, he moved from a tent outside the city that was pitched towards Sodom to where he was in Sodom to where he was in a permanent dwelling in Sodom to where he was sitting at the gate of Sodom. You know the story. He got into all kinds of trouble, right? Messed stuff up. So, uh, chapter 14, we discover... uh, the king of Sodom and some other kings uh, got into a quarrel with some other kings. So there were four kings against five kings. Uh, some of them were the sons of Ham and uh, sons of uh, Shem. And uh, they, they end up in this quarrel. And Lot and the king of Sodom and many of the men in Sodom, they're taken captive and the women. And really the loot, Abraham gets word of it and he's like, he gathers up the 319 men trained soldiers in his clan, if you will, his group, his posse, and they go after these kings, and they rout them. And they come back, they bring all the people back, they bring all the booty back, and there's a reminder for us, because the king of Sodom says, look, Abraham, you take all the stuff. You take the stuff, just give me the souls. The king of Sodom is a type of how Satan operates. Satan is willing to give people material wealth. He simply wants to retain their souls. And there's, there's wisdom in that for us. Again, it's not by sight. We don't need to be keeping up with the Joneses, do we? Right? I mean, if we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we should be finding satisfaction in the Lord and not in the accumulation of wealth. Now, is it wrong to have wealth? No, it is not. But it's wrong if your wealth has you. Distinctly different. Distinctly different. Does that make sense? I've known many men who were godly and had much wealth, but their wealth was in proper perspective. It belonged to the Lord. I've known many men whose wealth had them, and their lives are a shame. It's interesting. People who have stuff, if you have stuff and you're worried about your stuff, that's when you can begin to wonder, does my stuff have me or do I have my stuff? Does that make sense? Because if I lost it all today and it didn't matter, then it it doesn't have me. Because if it belongs to the Lord, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. It's his to do that, isn't it? Right? Right? Yeah, it is. And so, 
perspectives there, right? Um, so we, we navigate through chapter 14. We come to 15. God again reassures Abram of his covenant that he has made with him. Uh, some fascinating things. In fact, let's just read the first handful of verses in chapter 15. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. This is this magnanimous statement that God comes and he says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Let me ask you a question. Look this way for a minute. If the God of the universe showed up, I'm talking about the God of the universe who made everything. He spoke it into existence. He spoke, and it was. It once was not. Out of nothing, he spoke, and it was. He made it all. He knows how all of it works. He knows the design, the mathematics. He understands, listen, he understands DNA. He, he understands uh, mathematical computations to the infinite decimal point. He, he knows it all. If he comes and says, don't be afraid, should we still be afraid? I think so. And doesn't the scripture encourage us? Fear not, for I am with you. Doesn't the word of God tell us, lo, I am with you even unto the ends of the age? If he says, fear not, for I am with you, declares the Lord, why do we still fret? Why do we still fear? Why are we afraid? God is God. He Listen, you can underline chapter 15, verses, uh, well, certainly verses 1 and 2, probably even further than that, but 1 and 2. And with that, you could underline Galatians chapter 3 and verse 9. We are blessed with believing Abraham. Have that one memorized. We are blessed with believing Abraham. That means, in a matter of speaking, the blessings that are Abraham's are ours in faith. Well, here's one of them. another. I am your shield. Who's our defender? The Lord. The Lord. If he's your shield, and we're not military hand-to-hand combat like they were in those days, the shield bearer is the guy who goes out in front and he holds the shield so that you can be safe. God says to Abraham, I'm the guy who goes out in front of you, and I protect you. Anything coming at you from your enemy, I am the deflector of it. Praise God. That's ours in Christ Jesus. Isn't that powerful? The Lord who goes before us. Wow. I mean, Scripture tells us, in another place, a fire goes before him and burns up all his enemies. So listen, if the Lord's our shield, he's going out in front of us, and a fire goes before his and consumes all his enemies, what does that mean for you and I? We don't need to be afraid. In fact, our enemies don't even exist in all reality, right? Because they're being consumed. Man, that's awesome. And then he goes on to say, he says, your exceedingly great reward. Don't be afraid. I'm your shield, and I'm your reward. Wow. You mean when it's all said and done, 
I'm just going to get graduated up to something even greater than I can tangibly see today. And all this knowledge will become reality for me. I will see this. That's going to be something else. So powerful, powerful. So God is reminding Abram again, I am yours and I have made covenant relationship with you. For his namesake, he won't refuse Abraham. I mean, that's beautiful. It's a covenant that has been established. Okay, so we navigate a little bit further. We come to chapter 15. Now, this is where uh, they've been told again about the seed. It's, you know, it's been a number of years. It's been about 12 years. And 12 years has passed. They've been told about all nations being blessed. And you'll see you're going to have a child. Boom, boom, boom. And Sarah is barren. Her womb is barren. And so chapter 16, we're told of Hagar. And Sarah makes the suggestion she says uh, to Abraham, uh, uh, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, had borne him no children. Uh, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Now let me just stop here for a moment. Culturally, to understand what happened here, uh, we could go to the New Testament and we could actually see. Uh, remember the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, uh, the uh, mother and father of John the Baptist. Uh, remember that Gabriel shows up while Zechariah is ministering. He's a priest and he's ministering in the temple. Uh, if you read the story again, it's a great story because it's part of the, the whole Christmas story here that we get of John the Baptist. And uh, it's, it's in the order of Abiah, which is his, his sect, if you will, is going to be serving in the temple area. It's interesting to note that that whole order of Abiah, it's just one one line in the New Testament, and people read it and they go, I don't even know what that is, but I keep reading and I don't find out. David is the one that helps establish the order of service in the temple for all of the priests and the Levites. And so it's an interesting thing. So he's, he's serving, and while he's there, Gabriel shows up. Now they're well advanced in years beyond the years of having children, and Elizabeth is barren. And he gets word, and he's like, what? How's this going to be? And he questions, and because he questions it, he's mute. mute and uh, But Elizabeth, when he's done with his service, he goes home, and uh, husband and wife, uh, she, she becomes pregnant. And her words are, uh, the Lord has seen me and taken away my So all kinds of imaginations going. What did she do? What is she involved in? You, you know what I'm talking about. When something goes wrong with someone, we always think, I mean, our tendency is, oh, I wonder what they did. You know, like somehow that, it may not just, it could just be happenstance, right? I mean, it could just be the circumstances of life. Well, she, they, they viewed it as reproach. And so we see that. And so here Sarah, she's by this reproach, she feels the I mean, we know what it's like to feel pressure. We know what it's like to feel pressure in, a, in social settings. Right? I mean, we do. Now, whether we give into it or don't give into it, that's, I mean, that's, 
but we certainly understand what it's like to have pressure. I mean, I play basketball with these guys sometimes on Sunday night. I feel pressure because I can't play basketball. <laughs> but everything inside of me wants to be able to play basketball. So I feel the pressure, and I want to perform so that they'll go, ooh, Pastor Dave, you look good today. You know, hit me high, hit a couple of shots, blah, 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 blah. Whatever. I mean, fill in the blank. You know what it's like. This pressure, because she lived with it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, she's like, man, i got to help God out. Now, I know God said this, but you know, maybe this is what he wants to do. Maybe this is how he wants to do it. Have you ever felt that way? Where you're like, well, I know God wants to do this, so maybe he wants to do it this way, and I'm going to get my hands on this thing. Well, in that culture, a handmaiden, she was, she was kind of the queen, if you will. Abraham's got all this wealth. He's got servants, maid servants, men servants. And Sarah has this handmaid. And she makes the suggestion because culturally, if a woman was barren so that she could raise up a child, the handmaid would become the surrogate wife, if you will, and the child that she would bear would become the child of the queen of the house. And so Sarah looks to the world. This is how the world does it. Maybe that's how God wants to do it. There's warning there for us. We don't need to look at the world and say, well, that's how the world does it. Maybe that's how God wants to do it. Uh, and, I, and I mean this. I mean this. And I've been the guy who's done this before, where... Remember when God called us to plant the church? He called us to plant the church. And, and, and the, my story is my story, and it is what it is. But, I mean, I, in my mind, I was going to play professional football, and then God said no. And so then I was going into industry. I worked in the steel industry for nine years. I was the operations general manager. But all the while, I was running away from the call of God in my life. Because I mean, I was doing ministry on the streets of Portland three days a week, and I was, I mean, I had all kinds of things that were working, but all the while, God was calling me to be a pastor. Well, I was not listening. And so finally, he said, ministry. And so I remember I resigned. I told the principal owners, I said, I'm done. And so it was what it was. And so I go into the ministry, and now, you know, so each one is like, okay, professional football, you know, my salary would have been here. In industry, my salary was here. Ministry, my salary was down here. Then God says, Hey, that's great. You're doing well. Now go plant a church. I'm like, <laughs> I said, Lord, I got a mortgage. I have a wife. I mean, what are we going to do? And so I shared what I thought was our vision. And we didn't really even know. I shared, and I was let go from the church that I was serving at. So I, in, in three hours, I went from security, if you will, in ministry no income. And my wife, also, we had launched a ministry at that church, Coffee House. She was running the Coffee House, so she was working 40 hours a week. She had to quit. So we went from absolute, you know, we're, we're okay, things are good, hunky-dory, people are being saved, great youth ministry, great things are happening, blah, 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 to zero income, no insurance, and no severance pay, and we're like, all we have is faith. Hallelujah. <laughs> Because God can do things. And so all that to say, uh, I remember saying to my wife, because I have a resume, I, I should get my resume out and sharpen my pencil and bring it up to date. And I should start sending resumes out because that's what people do. 
I mean, I was just, whoop, got to turn to Egypt. Here I go. <laughs> Maybe this is how God wants to do this. Where's the faith, right? And so, I got called in for an interview with Vision Capital. When I was in the steel industry, it was it was pretty tough, right? And I, I, I became, I, they moved, it moved up, I moved up. Uh, I was over five manufacturers, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I'm in this interview with Vision Capital. And I remember, I, I got to the second interview, third interview kind of thing. And I'm sitting there with the plant manager, and he's like, hey, it's down to two people for you to win that job. I'm like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm your best guy, blah, 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 you know, me, me, flesh, 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 right? Because that's, I mean, I just trust in the flesh, right? Because that's, and it hit me. This is not what God called me to do. And so I asked the guy, and it was just, a, it was one of those Holy Ghost moments where I got ethanol from the spirit. I mean, ethanol just dropped into my brain, and I said, I asked the question, I said, the guy I'm up against for this position, does he work for you right now? And he says, well, as a matter of fact, he does. I said, oh, well, you need to hire him and not me. <laughs> and he says, this is not a very good interview technique. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I said, here's the reality. I said, God called me to plant the church. And I said, if the church is able to sustain me as a pastor, you will get my resignation from this announcement and put it somewhere else. And you may not have that guy available because he could leave your company. And he will be way more loyal to you than I will. And so we talked for another 30 minutes about a whole bunch of other stuff. Shook hands. He said, see you later. He says, weirdest interview I've ever been in. <laughs> I walked away, and God, God, res he resurrected my faith. You know, I came out of that, and within one week, one week, my wife got a phone call, and she was hired on the spot, on the phone. We had better insurance. The, co the steel company that I worked for was Kaiser Steel formerly. So Kaiser Permanente, I mean, Kaiser Steel, Kaiser Permanente, I mean, they're all one. We end up with better insurance than I had when I worked in the steel industry with Kaiser as like our sister company. I'm like, are you kidding me? How did God just do that? We even had vision care. I was like, ooh, I got glasses now, you know. I thought, God just did that. And so the point I'm making is, again, we don't need to get our hands on, we don't have to look at the world. She looks at the world and says, oh, this must be how. And now, I mean, I have sympathy for for, for Sarah, because I get it. And I think we all can identify with some Sarah traits in us. Because we get afraid, or we worry, or we have this reproach, or we have things that are impacting our lives. And so we look for the quick fix. Well, you know the story. Abraham heeds his wife's words, takes Hagar to be his wife, and sires a son out of this one. And so that us uh, to chapter 17. Chapter 17 is an interesting chapter because it's a chapter where God gives a sign now of his covenant. And the sign of the covenant is an outward sign of an inward covenant. The outward sign is circumcision. And here's where we find Abraham has immediate obedience because as soon as God gives him the story, as soon as God gives him the detail, it says immediately Abraham took 
Ishmael, verse 23. It says, verse 22, Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins, so that that very day, as God had said to him. So we see his progression from, you know, delayed obedience to, uh, you know, all kinds of variations of obedience to now he's discovered some immediate obedience. And he honors what the Lord had given him. Now, just let me say this about the, the sign of the covenant, if you will. An outward sign of an inward work. For you and I today, water baptism, it is an outward sign of an inward covenant. Communion, when we take of the bread and of the juice, it is an outward sign of an inward covenant. When we hold the cup of juice and we are making declaration by participating in this cup, I, I'm deciding I'm going to drink. I'm telling every single person here that I have put my hope in redemption in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The cup of redemption. Jesus, after supper on that night, he took that cup, that third cup of the Seder meal, which is the cup of redemption. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my shed blood. He didn't say the juice becomes blood. That's trans transubstantiation, and that's that's garbage theology. No, he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my shed blood. Do this often in remembrance of me. When we do that, it's a public declaration. I am a participant in the new covenant of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm telling everyone I am a Christ follower. Outward sign of an inward covenant. Does that make sense? And so that's important. And so this is, this is a foreshadow, if you will, of that. So we come to chapter 18, and uh, this is this is the son of promise. And so they're going to be told again, uh, you're going to have a son. Look at verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were uh, old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, uh, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Listen to verse 14. Is anything too hard for God? Boom. Uh, what's the song we used to sing? Uh, it's this line. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? the wonderful Lord of hosts. Anybody remember that? There's a second verse of another song. I can't remember the whole song. Anyway, uh, great song. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No! Talk about the most magnanimous rhetorical question in the universe. Hello! And then he says, at the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not die uh, since she was afraid. Uh, and he said, no, but you did die. So God's correct here. And uh, you, 
you notice that out of fear she responds? I, I didn't lie. <laughs> we do that sometimes. There's a warning there for us, right? I mean, there, that, that applies to us. Just because you're afraid of consequence doesn't mean you tell a lie. Uh, did you make that decision at work that cost us, you know, X, Y, Z? I don't want to lose my job. Sign up. You can. <laughs> Who's that? She, 
in her heart, it's like, it's like uh, today in, in the morning service, uh, we were in chapter 26, and God says to Isaac, uh, don't go down to Egypt. Why did God say don't go down to Egypt? Because it was in Isaac's heart to go down to Egypt. That conjugated verb gives the intention or tells us that she had intention of going back to Sodom. She was headed back, and as a result, she consumed uh, and became a sexual slave. That's chapter 19. We come to chapter 20, Abraham and Abimelech. Abimelech views the king of the Philistines. This is the first Abimelech, today's story. Uh, in chapter 26, we saw Isaac with Abimelech's son, who's now the king. Okay, So a generation of p- potentially 100 years. Uh, and we know with Abimelech, uh, Abraham uses this technique of she's my sister. That's technically true, but with the intent to lie. And it's here that he says, uh, you know, we've been doing this for a lot of years. I mean, he's got this in his practices. We've been doing this for, you know, 20 plus years. It became habit. And it was habit in the flesh. I wonder sometimes what habits we develop in the flesh that we get into the rut and the road, so to speak, that God wants us not to be involved in those ruts. Uh, I'm sure we could come up with some examples of uh, ruts in the road, so to speak, in our behavior in the flesh. Those are the ones that we generally don't want to happen. Right? Anybody here ever, when you're by yourself, have a little anger problem? Or anybody here uh, ever, when you're by yourself, have a little uh, thought process that's not very healthy? Anybody here, when you're by yourself, uh, fill in the blank? Sometimes we just excuse it by, well, I mean, it's not hurting anybody. Hello? Hello? Uh, you ever notice when you, when you fast, can I get an amen? Uh, you ever notice on the day you decide that you're going to fast, you wake up hungry that morning? <laughs> What's the deal? <laughs> like, well, I mean, I mean, the arguments that just begin to roll through your head. Well, this isn't really a spiritual fast. I'm just trying to lose weight. then when you give in, you practice failing. So when real temptation comes, your tendency will be to fail when it matters. You see, you see that? But if you practice winning on the small things or driving in your car, much is God the speed limit? I just don't, I'm telling you, true story. I drive in the slow lane most of the time with my feet. This is like in the last year. Because I realize that I am, I mean, I grew up in Southern California. I learned to drive on freeways that have six lanes on both sides. They now have eight lanes on both sides in some places. Because, I mean, Mario and Dylan, in my I didn't even know you had to use a blinker. I mean, that was like, what? It's happening so fast, no one's going to care. Mickey Ray.
basis. And I, you, you start to think, well, if it takes me 45 minutes to get where I'm going, I can leave at 46 minutes and I'll be on time. You know, not contending for if there's traffic, et cetera, et cetera. So you get aggressive. And the tendency is to get upset at the other drivers who are doing nothing. And so I decided, you know what? I can't do that. I'm going to leave earlier, drive the speed limit, and then I'll have everybody else mad at me who's in a hurry. <laughs> but if I'm in the slow lane, it should be expected, right? And so I've discovered that my attitude is better. I don't get upset, which when I get to my destination, if I've been upset on the road, then I have to somehow I have to check myself, right? Because I've been by myself, and it doesn't affect anybody, right? Except for I've practiced failing. So when real temptation comes, I've made a rut in the road to fail. I might have failed. I don't want to fail. And when it practices in me, then it doesn't matter. So when it really does matter, I win. Does that make sense? Because you're going to face temptations this week that matter. Anybody realize that? Look this way for a minute. Every person here is going to face temptations this week that matter. And what you choose to do will have an impact. And so we want to practice winning so that when we face real temptations, we, we know how to win. Does that make sense? I mean, does that make sense? That's why, incidentally, that's why fasting is a good thing. Okay, so... <clears throat> That's at least one benefit. Um, so we have uh, chapter 20. Uh, he's practiced this uh, deceit. He's telling the truth, but he's deceitful. And it's just a rut in the road. And so he gets rebuked uh, by Abimelech. And uh, they end up making a covenant, etc. And so we come to chapter 21 when Isaac is born, the son of promise. Uh, it's end time. He's born end time on time. Uh, Sarah's 99. Abraham is 100 years old. They've waited 24 years. Isaac has, is now 13 years old. By the time, by the time, uh, excuse me, Ishmael is uh, 13 years old. By the time Isaac is weaned, so he's probably three to five, somewhere in that age, when he's weaned, uh, Ishmael is probably anywhere from 17, 18 to 20 years old. And they throw a big celebration for Isaac when he's weaned. And Ishmael scoffs him. Here's the scoffing. Ishmael's the firstborn son. Now the son of promise is born. Who's going to be heir? Son of promise? Ishmael does not like that. Before Isaac is born, Ishmael's king. He's going to get all the inheritance. Abraham passes. I'm the only boy. It's all me. And Abraham was a very wealthy man. That was probably very appealing. Now Isaac's born. This snot-nosed kid is going to become the heir. Not over my dead body. Conflict. And there's a picture for us in our lives. physically, and so Dave Morris, body, 
soul. Verse 4. Flesh. Dave Morris, before he's born again, he operates like a brute beast. Everything about what I do is urge-related. some serious onion rings on my awesome hamburger with grilled onions or whatever in those onion strings and I'm going to put like cheese and it's going to be delicious and <laughs> keep bringing the fries, keep bringing the fries because it's an urge and it tastes really good on these little taste buds up here that God gave me. Oh, <laughs> I just get bigger and bigger, right? Urge. And you fill in the blank because there's urges all across the board, right? Uh, when I come up to the, you ever notice in the morning when you when there's traffic and your two cars are making it to the two red lights that are up there, you kind of speed up so you get the green light first. Does anybody else do that? I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we're just in competition. It's urge related. I gotta win. I gotta go first. I always get first. You, you ever notice that when you're coming up to a stop li- or stop sign, two cars at the same time? Who's going to get people just like, oh, I was here first. And they just done it. Like, all right, go ahead. Now I just wave people. I just say, oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn. It doesn't matter, right? And so all that to say, it's urge related. That guy, he, Dave Morris. Born again, Dave Morris. Now I'm not urge oriented, body, soul. Now I'm body, soul, and spirit. I got a holy of holies, and God the Spirit lives in me. And now I discover there's a conflict. There's a conflict. The firstborn wants to sit on the throne. And God says, nope, I've taken up that seat. That's mine. And I've given it to him. And the flesh wants to fight. And the flesh wants to be in charge. And so what does the flesh do? The flesh works in cooperation Literally with our enemy, the world, the appeal, what kind of movies we watch, what kind of shows we watch, what kind of entertainment we're engaged in, all up to and including the very enemy of our souls, the one who roams around like a lion seeking whom he may devour, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Our flesh will work in cooperation with him. for us a spiritual reality in a spiritual battle. What does Sarah say to Abraham? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Hagar from Egypt represents the world. Ishmael represents the work of the flesh. The spiritual victory is found in casting out the world and the work of the flesh. engaged in the world and engaged in the work of the flesh, I'm going to have spiritual defeat. Does that make sense? Everybody get that? If I want to have spiritual victory, get rid of the world, get rid of the work of the flesh. Now, does it mean like I'm, I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world, and I'm no good for this world? No, it doesn't mean that you're more spiritual and you won't. I'm so holy, I'm not going to entertain any non-believers. Do you know the Lord? You don't know the Lord? God bless you. Hope you make it. No, I mean, it's not like that. What I mean by that is 
you know what it's like to have corruption around you that you've allowed. And you don't need it. I don't need it. I turned on the television the other day. My wife and I are sitting in the family room. And I, we had a conversation. Where are Sam TV? Sam TV. Now, I literally, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible with controls. Just, I don't even know how to point it there. figured out. My kids are always telling me, Dad, rather than going through all the channels, they said there's a little thing on there called a guide, and you can actually scan through that, find what you want to watch, and then click that, and just click on it, and you get right to your show. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I've learned how to do that. It's taken me seven years to do that, but I figured it out. Turn on the TV. While the TV was on, literally 10 seconds of a sitcom while I'm trying to scroll, and I'm honestly, I'm just trying to get to Chopped on the Food Channel or Property Brothers <laughs> on HGTV, right? That's where I'm trying to get to. And uh, so I'm while I'm scrolling down to get there, 10 seconds, a sitcom, and the conversation was casual sex, how this woman was saying goodbye to this guy, and she's like, no, it won't work. But, hey, you've got a story now you can go tell. You had sex with this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was like the end. And I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how to just hit the button, get off this stupid show. How lame. Ten seconds. And that's just happenstance. One guy turning on the TV. But here's the deal. That's the majority of any sitcom coming out of Hollywood today. It's all about casual sex. That's corruption. Why would we take that in? Cast off the bondwoman. Get rid of the world. It will just bring grief in your life. Oh, well, it's not harming anybody. It will fashion how you think. Don't do it. Forgiveness wisdom from the Word of God. How am I doing time? I promise it. All right. Well, we, hey, we've, we've moved. We've got, that's 10 chapters. Have we ever done 10 chapters on a Sunday night? Ever? No. Wow. All right. <laughs> I haven't done 10 chapters in 12 years. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, okay. So we're going uh, to just get ourselves caught up here. So Isaac is born, this, this conflict. Uh, again, the covenant is made with Am, uh, uh, Abimelech and... Uh, Chapter 22, Abraham's faith is confirmed. It's a, uh, uh, chapter 22 is the pinnacle. Because God asks Abraham to do something that is contrary to what he knows. God asks him. doesn't consult Sarah. He doesn't consult anybody. Early the next morning, he gets up. He gets two servants. He gets his son. He gets the mules. He gets the wood. And he gets the fire. And they head out from the house. When Moriah is in eyesight, he tells the two servants, 
the lad and I will return. Wait here for me. Take him safe. Abraham knew, and Isaac, by the way, is about 30 years old at this point. 30 years old. Abraham knows now that God has promised that all nations will be blessed through his seed. Here's the seed of promise. He said, it won't be through Ishmael. He said, it will be through your son, Isaac. Isaac doesn't even have a wife yet. He's had no children. And God's requiring his rights. He knows that if he's offered, listen, offered, let out, laid on the altar, and burned to ashes, Isaac's carrying the wood. God says, yeah, we got the wood and we got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And he makes this magnanimous statement of faith. God will provide himself a sacrifice. God will provide himself a sacrifice. Literally, on the same mountain, Mount Moriah, some 2,000 years later, God himself would provide himself as the sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. God became flesh. He provided himself the sacrifice. Fascinating. And so you know the story. Just before, Abraham has a dialogue with his son. And this is, uh, I would encourage you extra biblical reading. It's worthy of your reading. Antiquity of the Jews, volume one. There's three vo- it's a three-volume set written by Flavius Josephus first century scribe who took the history, the oral tradition, and transcribed them for the Roman government and they're known as the Antiquity of the Jews. And it's a three volume set and as you read, you can read the oral tradition of the conversation. It's also held in the Targumum, uh, so you can read it in the uh, Targum of Onkelos, you can read it in the Targum of Jerusalem, you can read it in the Targum of story. 
faith in Abraham's house is counted to you for righteousness. He believed God. I submit to you tonight, and we'll end with this. You, you and I, we can believe the promises of God. We can believe the promises of God. And like Abraham, we can bank our existence on them. When he said, I am your shield, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. You can walk around fearless. In fact, I would submit to you, we are dangerous to the enemy when we begin to believe. Dangerous. Uh, remind me next week, out of Gen- and we'll, be, we'll pick up in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 23, and we'll, we'll get current next week, and, and we'll be in our, our new section. So it'll be, we'll hit Genesis 26 to 27 as our actual study next Sunday evening, but we'll get caught up to that, and we'll get through that in the next session. But remind me, I'll tell you a story that I told our interns this last week about how God is our defender. God is our defender. You guys remember the story? Fascinating story. And it was a promise that God revealed to me and reminded me as my very life was being threatened and what God did as a result. And I will tell you, as God spoke, he showed me the promise, he gave it to me, and then some things unfolded. And God was my defender. He was my shield and what was literally my life was being threatened. The Salt Lake City police called me on the phone and said, do not do this. He is coming to murder you. And with that, see you next Sunday night. <laughs> how to get the how to get the church full? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we love you. We ask God your blessing. Lord, will you go with us? Lord, may this week we be inspired by the life of Abraham, a man of faith who believed you. He believed you. Jesus being asked the question, uh, what must, what can we do that we would do the works of God? Jesus said, These, this is the work of God, to believe in the one whom he has sent. To believe. That is the work of God. The works of God, to believe. Father, help us to believe. Even in our Help us to believe. Show us your strength as you have done before. And let our faith be rock solid to know that you will perform according to your promise. Your word is golden. You are not man that you should lie. You are not the son of man that you should repent. Your word is golden. Let us trust in you. Lord, we love you. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great week. You can help us break down the chairs. That would be really, really helpful. Appreciate you.